Can you imagine a coach looking at you and saying, Michael, you're just not mentally tough? How do they know? They, do, they don't see behind the scenes. Did you sleep well last night? What other stresses do you have in your life? Are you entering finals week? Are you uh, in the midst of a divorce? Uh, have you not eaten well? So there's all these components that you can't see. All you can see is what's happening on the track. All you can see is what's happening in the pool. Until we see beneath the surface, we don't know if that's mental toughness or simply conditioning. We don't know if that's mental toughness or simply recovery. That triathlon show. 228. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Dr. Bradford Cooper. Dr. Cooper holds a PhD in uh, psychology and specifically within functional mental toughness. And this is the topic that we will discuss in today's interview, the research that he has done in functional mental toughness, toughness or FMT, the implications that it has for us as athletes and uh, what we can do, what strategies and tactics we can employ to improve our mental toughness. In addition to being an academic, uh, Dr. Cooper is also a very, very accomplished endurance athlete, being a multiple Kona finisher and a winner winner of the race across America, one of the world's uh, toughest cycling races. And he has also been recognized as the world's fittest CEO. Finally, Dr. Cooper has a podcast, which is the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast that we'll link to in the show notes and episode descriptions. Before we get into the interview with Dr. Cooper, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. You might be stuck on the indoor trainer due to the COVID-19 pandemic that is sweeping across the globe at the moment. And when training indoors, it is very common to sweat a lot, even if you are set up with a good set of fans. And uh, since we all have individual sweat rates, but also we have very individual sweat sodium concentration levels, that means that we need to account for our sodium losses based on those individual differences between us. So somebody who does not lose sweat a lot and does not lose a lot of sweat in their salt in their sweat, I apologize, they might not really need to replace that many electrolytes if any, uh, maybe in, if you're racing a longer Ironman event, sure, but uh, in normal training, perhaps not. But on the other hand, for people like me that sweat a lot and have a very salty sweat, then even in day-to-day training, you really need to constantly stay on top of your electrolyte intake. Precision hydration makes it easy for you to get a ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat. And you can make a simple sweat loss test as well to get an idea of where you stand. And then Precision Hydration, with their different strengths of electrolyte products, they allow you to tailor your electrolyte intake to that individual sodium need that you have. Go and check them out on precisionhydration.com and take 15% off your order with the promo code show 15 
And big thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. And at the moment of recording, probably not when you hear this episode, uh, or definitely not, I, I know actually, but at the moment of recording, Roka is celebrating their seventh birthday. So happy birthday, Roka. And it's uh, great how, to see how far you've come. I want to take this moment to mention that uh, one of the newest big big product lines of roca is their uh, prescription glasses so uh, prescription glasses and prescription sun glasses these eyeglasses are just like the rest of roca's products designed with no stone left unturned to make them as good as they can possibly be the best materials and all that jazz they can also be customized they they have customizable options with colors etc so that's uh, an interesting option for you to check out you can find them at all of Roka's other products, including wetsuits like the new Max Buoyancy wetsuit, the Maverick MX, on Roka.com. And before you go there, go to Roka.com forward slash TTS to get your 20% discount code that is valid for your entire Roka order. Without any further ado, here's the interview with Dr. Brad Cooper. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Bradford. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. It will be an exciting discussion, so I'm very much looking forward to it. And uh, the listeners have heard a bit of, about you in the intro, so let's get right into uh, the meat of the episode, which is a discussion around what is functional mental toughness, your area of research and interest. Yeah, the, the, the highest level, that's a, that's a phrase that we essentially added to the literature in some of our research study, this concept of functional mental toughness. And the, the reason we use that phrase is, I, I don't know about you, Michael, but my sense and the people I talk to tend to see mental toughness as the second piece. They tend to see it as toughness. It's all about the toughness piece. And, and we forget it's it's actually probably more about the mental piece. So we look at these Hollywood hero types, you know, the, the David Goggins, for example, his name is always brought up to me when people find out about my research. And, and David's certainly a, a guy worth respecting. He's been through a lot. His, his story is outstanding. But I've yet to meet somebody who looks at David and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to do what David does. They don't. They look at him as a as a movie hero. They look at him as this amazing guy, but they don't look at him and say, and I'm going to take the same steps that David's taken. What, what we wanted to do in our research was, was find out, first of all, but once we found out that this was true, we wanted to show people how can, how can you do it? How, what are the cognitive strategies that anybody, D David included, but any of us can integrate into our, our workouts, our, our daily life, our, our relationships, our decisions that we're making, all that kind of stuff. So we're not, looking at it and saying, oh, I couldn't do that. We're looking at it and we're saying, well, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no problem with that. I, I just need to build it in my training like I would anything else with my training. So the functional piece there, it really refers to the fact that it is not uh, an inherent trait that you have. You're born with and that's that's what you're given and you can't really change that but it refers to the fact that you you can uh, you can cause a, a change in in that uh, in the level of mental toughness that that you exhibit in various situations in in triathlon or in life in general is that it that is true and there's a big argument about that in literature and so some of the very well respected researchers like dr Beatty, uh who will hear this may hear this 
might say, no, 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 I still think it's more trait. We've shown in our four studies, there is immense variability. The, the, the mental toughness of an elite master's runner at moment one might be very different 30 minutes later, an hour later, a day later, two days later. And, and to my knowledge, we're the first ones to really look at this variability, not on a once a month basis, not on a once every two weeks basis, but to literally look at it before and after a, a training session, to look at it day after day after day after changing some things up like sleep and self-talk and, and some of those components. So based on what we've seen, based on what we found in this four studies that have been published so far, yes, we absolutely have shown that it's variable and it can be optimized and it can be optimized through specific steps we that we can take. That being said, when you refer to, to Hollywood heroes or we can take the step into sports and we see people that we just assume are very mentally tough, they look very mentally tough, somebody like Mecca springs to mind in, in his prime. Sure. Uh, is that something that you think that is possible to see from the outside that somebody is a, a more mentally tough person or athlete than, than another? Or is that just a bit more of a bravado or there really isn't a way to distinguish between somebody who is mentally tough and somebody who who is not uh what, what do you think about that i love that question that's such a fun question so let's just say for example that you and i are racing kona together and and we're coming back out of the energy lab and you know we're digging it out and i've got this grown you know this look on my face like yeah, i'm going really deep and you're like yeah, life's good. I'm fine. And you're, you're cruising along and, and I'm like, no, we're going to make this happen. And you pick it up and I can't stay with you, but I'm digging deep. And who's mentally tougher there? Yeah. Well, you're the expert. You tell me. <laughs> no, we don't know. We, we have no idea. We have no idea. I might be an actor. I might just be a guy that has crazy looks on his face. You might be fitter than me. And so you're able to pull it out. You may have found that when you follow, you, you've seen some of the research studies on, on the impact of smiling. Like when Kipchoge did his, his uh, two hour marathon, he was literally smiling up until the last, what, two, three miles, even running at a 435 pace because he knew what the research said. So you may have read that research and you may be applying that. So. No, I don't think we can. I, we can we can have fun with it. We can be like, yeah, Mac is super tough. And he is super tough. He wouldn't be doing what he does if he weren't super tough. But he also applies some very interesting strategies. One that, that I love from Mecca's, uh, from his, I think he was, it was in his book. It may have been a talk I heard. But he talks about when the pain comes, it's that embrace the suck thing. It's yeah, when yeah, the yeah. pain comes, you, you, you don't say, oh, no. Here's the pain. What am I going to do? This is horrible. You say, oh, there you are. I've been waiting for you. Where have you been? Come on, let's get this thing done. That's what I've been out here for. And, and we actually utilized a strategy similar to that in one of our four studies that was published in, in terms of helping people flip the switch from – have you heard of the, the challenge threat concept at all, Michael? No, I have not. Does that ring a bell? So this is kind of a fun, fun thing. And, and I hadn't either two, three years ago, but you, your listeners might find it interesting. It, the challenge threat is, is it's two different ways that cognitively you, you look at whatever you're facing. And it, it doesn't have to just be athletics, but since we're talking triathlon today, we'll stay in that realm. And if something happens and you look at it as a threat versus a challenge, it literally changes your cardiac output. Your, your blood vessels literally 
change the way that they're being in terms of flexibility and the, the allowance of blood flow that they're allowing to go through actually changes. So that mindset shift of Maca saying, oh, there you are. Now it becomes a challenge. It's like, all right, I've been waiting for this. Let's get this thing done. Bring it on, pain. Let's do this. That flips you into that challenge state versus the threat of, oh no, my legs are just killing me. What am I going to do now? I don't know. What, what, what happens when you make that kind of a response is you literally don't just have a negative headspace. It literally changes you physiologically. So that'd be an example of something Maca does very, very well and has been nice enough to share it with the rest of us that ties right into the research yeah that is super interesting it sounds kind of analogous to what we know about uh, anxiety previous anxiety and uh, how framing it differently can lead to better performance and and less anxiety uh, or performance debilitating anxiety so telling yourself yeah, that you're excited example. rather than you're uh, than you're nervous for for example yeah great example um, with the four studies you mentioned, let's uh, give some more context. So that's uh, related to your, your PhD research. You finished it uh, last year. Uh, you said, uh, is, uh, what is the, can you get into what, like at a high level, what you did for the research and what specific things you, you studied? Absolutely. And, and if folks are wanting to actually pull up these studies, you can literally look them up by author name, but we've, I, I do some speaking and we've got a site where we posted those. So it's drbradfordcooper.com. If you just go there and click the insight button, we've got all four of the studies plus the whole PhD thesis. So if you, if you're really bored sometime and you want to dig into that, you, you can go through all of that, but, but they're all on there. And in terms of context, so what we went into this seeking to discover or, or, or try to find out is first of all, comes back to your question. Is it variable? Does it change? Because if, if it doesn't change, then let's not waste our time on it. So we first looked at variability. I, I had an opportunity, this is a, before I started the PhD, to do a series of races in a single year. One was the Race Across America. It's a 3,000-mile bike race from Oceanside, California to Annapolis, Maryland. I was part of a two-person team. We ended up winning it. Um, but But I got in a bike wreck six weeks before the race started and fractured four ribs, my clavicle and had eight, not eight, four fractures in my pelvis, non-displaced, fortunately. But that changed the equation completely. I, I was in pretty doggone good shape. In fact, I was out doing a, a, a time trial repeat session and got in a wreck and all this stuff happened. So all of a sudden, when I got to that race, I hadn't been able to do a lot of the things I'd planned on the last six weeks. So that 3,000 mile race became even, it, it's always a mental thing obviously, but it became even more of a mental thing because of that accident. And then the second race was trying to qualify for Kona. I was at the top of my age group, 49 on the 45-49 group. So trying to qualify for that. Um, and, and then two weeks after the Ironman, trying to run a sub three hour marathon, which normally for me wouldn't be a big deal, but I had some some knee issues from the Ironman and and came out of that. And And so anyway, by hitting those three we looked at that. We did what's called an autoethnography, and that was the first study to analyze, okay, that's some cool stuff going on in there, but what was happening inside your, inside your head? What, what was going on between the ears? And most importantly, what's the research say about what you saw? So that was our first step. And then we came out of that and found that uh, some of the components around self-talk and sleep were 
potentially very closely related to that. So we looked at those two specifically, and we can talk about those if you'd like and what we found with those. But the study that immediately followed the autoethnography looked at 13 elite master's runners to find out, okay, we saw mental toughness variability in one person with this autoethnography. Was that just an anomaly or or is that kind of a, a commonality? Do, you, do we see that across the board? And so we looked at these 13 elite master's runners and found not everybody had variability. We can talk about that because I think it's that's that in itself was very interesting because of the, the, the things that they were already doing to optimize. But most did. I think 10 out of 13 did. And then from that, that's where we looked at what were the primary optimizers and two that jumped to the top for us in that second study were sleep and self-talk. So then those were our follow-up studies is how can we analyze the impact of sleep on mental toughness? How can we analyze the impact of self-talk on mental toughness? So you can kind of see the chain. It went from one person autoethnography to 13 people. What's going on? Oh, wow. There's these two that rise to the top. Do those really happen? Or is that just, you know, kind of sounds like it might be. And then we really dug in deep to those two. All right, cool. Uh, before we dig deeper into some of the topics there, when you do these studies, you must have some way of measuring the mental toughness. Can you talk about that? How do you how do you measure it qualitatively or quantitatively? Yeah, Daniel Gucciardi, super, super respected professor out of Australia. Uh, he came up with a tool called the Mental Toughness Index, and it's a it's a, it's a, it's a good tool. There are a lot of, if, if you Google mental toughness assessments, you're going to find a lot of options. We looked at all those options. We analyzed which one we should use. We spent literally months deciding which one would be the best tool to, f- to, to try to identify what we're trying to identify. And his was the best in our mind. It, it truly looked at what we were trying to find. So if you Google Daniel Gucciardi, uh, I believe it's University of Curtin out of Australia. You, he actually has free access to use that tool. So you can check that out. All right, great. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes and uh, so so that, that anybody who wants to can go and have a look. How big is that tool? How many questions or how does it work? It's very straightforward. It's eight questions. And it's the, the that's part of what we wanted because if you're ch- having people do something before and after a, tra- a training session, if you're having something somebody do something every single day, you you can't you cannot, I mean you can but you're not going to get good reliability. You're not, not going to get good follow through if you're asking people to do a 20 minute, 30 minute, 40 minute process every single time. So that's one of the other huge advantages is literally at the track. So in, in our, our fourth study that was just published in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology, where we looked at runners and mental toughness and, and the impact of personalized self-talk, we, we literally would have people fill out their mental toughness right after they did their 800 uh, not right out we give them a few seconds to breathe but they would they would fill it out now can you imagine if i said okay now i want you to sit down for 25 minutes and fill out this assessment and they didn't do 1800 with me they did between 11 and 15 on 11 to 15 different days that's asking a ridiculous amount from your participants so again best tool in our minds overall allowed us to examine the things we wanted, but also gave us the opportunity to have them do it in three minutes, less than that. 
And uh, how can you can you benchmark the results somehow? Like, is there a normal distribution of the typical individual, or is and is it different from athletes? Like, where what is the expected value, so to say? And 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 let's get get into then what the variance is inter and intra individually. Yes, great question. Great question. You've done your homework. I appreciate that. The the variability, first of all, with athletes, you asked about what are some of the commonalities yep. with athletes. Athletes tend to rate themselves higher. We're not positive whether that's because we want to think of our, it's more socially uh, encouraged for us to be tougher as, as triathletes or runners or ultra runners or swimmers, et cetera, or if we're just tougher and it's probably a combination of the two. So you do expect that to be a little bit higher out of the gate, but Michael, that's one of the really cool things is we saw a lot of variability in spite of the fact that we were measuring with athletes. If you were to do the same study with Joe off the street, Sally off the street, just hypothesizing here, but I think you'd see a much bigger range. We saw a pretty big range as it was, but if you're not starting with people that already see themselves as mentally tough, value mental toughness, you know, maybe edge up on the self-assessment scale, we still saw this big variability. Imagine what it'd be like in the typical population. Yeah, yeah, that that could be could be huge. And and then on the intra-individual level, uh, so you you measured that in in the first study uh, at least. How did that? What was the scale of the changes that you can experience? Yes, great question. Um, and that was really the heart of what we were looking at. That's, that's what I loved because I, who, who can, you asked early on whether we can tell a difference between my mental toughness and your, or, or can we tell mental toughness from the outside? Can we look at someone and say, Oh, mentally tough, not sorry. And, and I just, I think that's a great question to ask in an interview. It's not a great question for someone who's serious about this to take in terms of a coach? Like, can you imagine a coach looking at you and saying, Michael, you're just not mentally tough? How do they know? They do, they don't see behind the scenes. Did you sleep well last night? What other stresses do you have in your life? Are you entering finals week? Are you uh, in the midst of a divorce? Uh, have you not eaten well? So there's all these components that you can't see. All you can see is what's happening on the track. All you can see is what's happening in the pool until we see beneath the surface we don't know if that's mental toughness or simply conditioning. We don't know if that's mental toughness or simply recovery. I, I, I was doing a, a bike session this morning and I was, I was pretty, I was pretty wimpy and I've had a really good run of training the last couple of months. This was my worst session I've had in a couple of months. Well, I could look back and say, mm, there's the reason. I, I, it was so obvious what the reason was, but a coach wouldn't know that. They just see the data and go, Coop, what's your deal? So. I don't know if I if, did. I answer your question on that. The 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 variability. It's 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 really fascinating to look at that. And by the way, the scale. It's a total of fifty six total. It's it's eight questions, seven point Likert scale. So max point score of fifty six, and you'll see ranges. We saw ranges, and this is just off the top of my head. You'd have to look at the study, but uh, I think we saw low of thirty something. And a lot of people scoring themselves in that 55, 56 range. And again, to me, that's the fascinating part. All these people scoring themselves high and yet on specific days for specific reasons, 30, 35, 42, 47, et cetera. 
So, so this was the same athlete on some days was in the thirties and uh, and on the other on another day it might have been fifty five or fifty six. Did, did you see exactly, this also exactly? And you saw this with the runners, the, the study with the runners, the thirteen masters runners. We did, we did, and that's what was so interesting because again, oh, I'm sorry, that's where I lost my train of thought. We we don't care if. We're not trying to figure out if yours is better than mine because we don't know if that's mental toughness or if it's something else. But if yours is better than yours was yesterday, if yours is better than it was this morning, now we can look at it and say, well, what's different? And that's where, to me, the fascinating part is. To me, it doesn't matter if mine is better than yours because we'll never know what's what, whether that's even true. But if I can improve my mental toughness, if I can help you improve your mental toughness, now we're getting somewhere. Now it's meaningful. Now it matters. Do you think it's possible? And I, I don't think that you have studied this, but what, what is your hunch? Can you improve your, your worst case scenario, sort of like your baseline level when, when everything is not going very well? You have had a, that crash with a, with a car or something and broken a collarbone and, uh, and you might be sick as well. And you're preparing for a race and uh, you're not feeling very, very on top of the world at that point. You're at your lowest, but is, is it possible to over time improve your mental toughness to a point where your lowest is significantly higher than it used to be? Yes. Yes. No question. And, and that's where I don't know if I sent you a picture of our FMT model, but the three major tr- aspects of the model is thrive, prepare, and activate. And, and what I love about this, uh, everything that we found fit into one of those three categories. But for example, in, in what, what you were showing is, Brad, what about this situation? So in that situation, the thrive, it's not good. The prepare, it's too late. It's race day. Things happened. I'm here now. What can I do now? And there are actually things that the person can do in the moment to improve that. So if you're, and, and, you know, you know how st- studies are. We, we, we tend to st- hopefully study things that interest us. I, I've done 11 Ironmans, four times at Kona, you know, Race Across America, all this kind of stuff. And I'm all over the place, man. I, I'm, that's why it was so fascinating to me to see, is there anything I can do? I, I, we interviewed Kelly McGonigal on our Catalyst Health Wellness and, and performance coaching podcast uh, a few weeks back. And she, she, she laughingly said, uh, psychology research is more like me search. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Kelly, that's awesome. So, and, and that's what I was doing. I, it was me search. I was curious, like, what's my deal? Why do I drop down so far? So yes, to answer your question, the thrive, prepare and activate work together. So in that situation where everything's down, struggling, you can still pull some tools out of the activate box and utilize those in the moment. So let's talk about the influencing factors and the strategies that can be used to to improve your mental toughness if you want to go into uh, all of the important ones that you found. Yes, we could. We would have to be here about 17 hours to go through all of them. But but let me give you a couple <laughs> examples and, and that'll get your folks kind of going, oh, okay, I, I kind of get the concept here. So l- let me back up to the model. And I don't know if, again, I'm happy to send you that that uh, diagram if I didn't send it to yeah, you. Yeah, please yet, do. But, and we can have it um, in the show notes as well. Yeah, perfect. So in the middle of this diagram, if, if folks are looking at your website, in the middle of this diagram, it's also on the drbradfordcooper.com site as well. There's a bank. And we call that the FMT bank. And think about this like your bank account. So think about 
what do you want to have happen with your bank account? Well, it's probably three things. You want to fill it up as much as you can, right? So we, we, want, we want lots in there. Secondly, we want, to, we want to avoid the leakage. So we don't want to get your bank statement at the end of the month and there's, you know, a 48 cent charge here and a $6 charge there. Not stuff you bought, just these dumb charges that, you know, overdraft or, you know, something like that. So we want to keep the leakage out. And then last thing, when we need that money for something important, some big purchase, some emergency that's going on, you know, somebody's sick, car breaks down, whatever, we got to be able to get it. It doesn't help to have all this money in a bank account if it's just sitting over there to the side. So think of your functional mental toughness as being very similar to that bank account. You want to do the same three things. You want to fill it up. You want to avoid the leakage. And we, we get a lot of leakage, folks. We let it go to stuff that, frankly, doesn't matter that much. And then when we need it, when it's go time, we want to be able to access it. We want to know how to access it. So, so get that in, in, in your head first. We got this, we've got this bank account and now that allows us to do something. Now, the next part of it is functional mental toughness. We're not using it all the time. Hopefully you're not using it now unless, you know, there's a table leg sitting on your foot and you're just trying to tough it out or something. But mental toughness, we use it at critical moments. You know, there's that critical moment in that race where you're like, okay, now I need it now. Like now's the time. It's go time. Or maybe uh, we have three kids. They're 25, 23, and 21. And maybe they're, um, you know, we, we didn't sleep well the other night and we're, we're about, there's a potential argument coming. And how much mental toughness do you use in that relationship to make it turn out well instead of going down the drain? Or, Anything. Think of any aspect of your life. We have an opportunity to utilize that at certain times, but we're not using it all the time. So, so that's the first piece. And then around that diagram, you see the three main triads of the functional mental toughness, and that's thrive, which is foundational well-being, prepare. That's not just getting your bike tires ready. That's that's the mental preparation stuff, the things you can do in advance. And then there's the activate and activates what we just talked about where, you know, here's some things you can do in the moment and, and we'll talk through those. So any, any questions on the broader piece, Michael, and then I can maybe give an example or two from each one. No, I think that the broad piece is very clear. I really like that, uh, that analogy. It's uh, so yeah, go ahead and give some examples from each. All right. So thrive, if you think of thrive and, and, and that's my background, I come out of the health and wellness uh, area. That, that's what I do for a living. Uh, think of four primary things. It's move, fuel, rest, and connect. Those are the four, basically, those are the four cornerstones of foundational well-being or thrive. So as you break those down, as you start thinking, okay, so how could I improve one or more of those? A, a, a couple, couple different options. First of all, uh, let, let's, let's talk sleep because one of our studies looked at sleep. Now, Sleep, it's an interesting one. It, it, if, if folks have not dug into the sleep piece with their training, it's a biggie. So don't, don't miss that opportunity. But one of the things that we've, we found in both our research and simply in conversations at conferences when I'm speaking and, and folks I'm working with is the time in bed piece. So this would be a practical aspect related to sleep that drives that thrive. If you talk to someone about their sleep, They'll, and, and you say, you know, how, how much sleep do you try to get? And, and they know the right answer. They're like, 
oh, I try to get eight hours because that's the answer we're supposed to give. And then you get into the details a little bit and you're like, oh, okay, cool. So what time do you have to be up? Oh, I'm up at, I'm up at five to get to the pool. Okay, cool. Um, so five minus eight, that's 9 p.m. So you kind of shut stuff down around 8.20, 8.30 and kind of start making your way up. And they're like, no, I, I kind of watch the early news and, and then I go up and – you know, once you get in the conversation, you realize they're not getting to, they're not giving themselves a chance for eight hours. It's impossible. It has nothing to do with their quality of sleep. It has nothing to do with all the things that we're supposed to do around the temperature of the room and, and the darkness and the ear, ear plugs and all that kind of stuff. They're not, there's no shot because they're not even in bed eight hours. So it's things like that where we look at it and we say, Oh, so sleep is, is strongly associated with, mental toughness in a lot of people, but I'm not even giving myself a chance. So that would be a, a practical example of, okay, let's address this from a practical side. Uh, another example, caffeine, strategic caffeine, plenty of studies showing, in fact, I just saw one, uh, this has probably been six months ago now, but caffeine, you adapt to it over about 20 days. And so you it clearly benefits and remind me to bring the caffeine example back up when we talk about our our 800 meter study with the self-talk because it's a, it's a fun comparison, but caffeine has an impact uh, when you look across, you know, meta-analysis and, and the, the different reviews have been done. It's about 2.3% improvement in performance, but if you've adapted to it, not so much. So ask your listeners, do they want the advantage of caffeine or no? Because if we're drinking a cup of coffee, two cups of coffee, five cups of coffee, 12 cups of coffee every single day, then that's our new norm. We're not anymore gaining an additional advantage. We're simply getting our norm back. So strategic caffeine would be another practical thrive piece where we say, okay, first of all, the half-life of caffeine is between four and eight hours. So if I'm drinking it after 12 noon, and frankly, 10 a.m. is my personal rule because I think <laughs> I think it gives me a little better sleep at night, but but at least 12 noon, you, you still have caffeine in your system by the time you go to sleep at night. Because again, going back to our high school chemistry, half-life means half of that. So a cup, typical cup of coffee, let's say it's 100 milligrams. You've got 50 milligrams spinning around in your head after four to eight hours, and you still have 25 spinning around in your head after eight to 16 hours. So, and, and, and the problem is people will say, well, I fall asleep fine. Exactly. That is the problem. It doesn't keep you from falling asleep. It decreases the depth of that sleep. And so what do we need the next day? We need more. So anyway, I'll get off my caffeine soapbox. I did have coffee this morning. So I don't want you to think, oh yeah, he never, no, I, I drink my share of coffee, but I try to be strategic with it. And that's the difference that we're talking about here. So the thrive piece, you're being strategic with the time in bed. You're being, if caffeine is something you want to address, you decide to be strategic with your caffeine. So for example, if I've got a, a tomorrow, I've got a, a 13 mile pace run I'm going to do. I'm going to try to hit some good, good average paces. We're up here in Colorado, which is, you know, five, 6,000 feet elevation. I would like to sit somewhere around 630 pace on tired legs after what was supposed to be a much better bike session today than it was, but you get the idea. So I will have caffeine tomorrow. That's strategic, but I didn't have it yesterday. Yesterday was an easy session. Didn't need it. Slept halfway decent. Didn't use it. Thursday, 
I also probably won't use it. So I'm, I'm trying to pick and choose. I'm trying to be strategic with, okay, I don't want to build that resistance. I want to be strategic. So does, does that make sense? Is that, does that make sense in terms of the strategic piece on things like time yeah. in bed or caffeine? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I would just say so, that I've seen, I've seen mixed research on whether habituation to caffeine uh, really blunts the performance benefits. Like, yeah, I know there are some that say that it does, but there, there's also some research that says that it doesn't. So I've seen mixed results on that. Is. I have seen that. Exactly. I think to me, I, fo- I the most recent I saw said that we adapt to it after 23 days. Uh, and I agree with you that it's, it's, it's been on, off, on, off. I think if we dig into how those studies were done, it might provide some of the answers to that question, but, but absolutely. So next one is the preparation phase. Um, uh, we talked about challenge threat. That's, that's one of the pieces that fits into the, the aspect of pre- preparation is getting used to seeing things different. I think you called it uh, reformatting. Was that the phrase you uh, used? Reframing. Reframing. Yeah, yeah. So, so reframing, reformatting, creating the challenge threat. You, what you're doing is you're, you're looking for those things. And, and I think one of – the more I talk to folks since our research has been done, the more I think the reflection piece – is a plays a huge role in this preparation aspect. And what I mean by that is if we're not reflecting, if we're just running through the day, heading to our workout, do the workout, come out of it, go to the next thing, go to work, go to the if we never reflect on so what was I thinking there? How did that feel? What did I did I see it as a threat or did I really see it as a challenge? Once we start getting into that challenge, once we get used to pursuing that challenge state versus the threat state, we get better results. We have higher mental toughness, but we don't even know what's going on if we're not reflecting. So a big, big piece of the the practical aspect of the FMT or functional mental toughness preparation is that reflection. So I I think I'd give people the, the, the biggest suggestion I give with that is take the time it's worth it. I know as triathletes, we're all time starved. We're all like, how seriously, Brad, how am I supposed to spend another 20 minutes or 10 minutes or three minutes journaling this stuff? Well, it's worth it. I, I just, I'll just tell you, and we can talk about some of the numbers here in a minute. When, when, but, when, and how do you suggest doing this? Uh, like, is, is this something that you do more as a daily journaling thing or are we talking about training logs or what, what specifically does reflection refer to? Great, great question, Michael. The two pieces to that. So on a, on a specificity aspect, I'll write in my journal, my training journal, how that went that day. You know, what was going on? What was I thinking? Why was I down? Did I do the preparation? Did I try the self-talk? What worked with that? What didn't? Was I in a challenge state? Was I in a threat state? So in the training journal, brief notes about that are, are really helpful. I have. I've not been good with my life journaling up until about four months ago. And I made a commitment coming into, into 2020 of I'm going to try this. Like I, I've seen why this is important. I'm going to commit to it. And so I'm doing that four minimum five typical days a week. And sometimes it's four minutes. Sometimes it's a half hour, but that's a more global reflection on what's going on in life. How am I thinking about things? What am I facing? How am I approaching it? Where is my head? What are the cognitive strategies I'm implementing? That kind of thing. So I think it's a two-piece answer to your question. One is that day-to-day 
quick hit and run. This is what was going on in this specific workout. And one is more broadly, what's going on in life? What am I thinking of? How's that affecting what I'm doing? Mm, great. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, anything else on that part or any, any other examples yeah, I, I, of preparation? I'll give you one other one for the preparation, and that's callousing. And I think this fits in nicely with our, our triathlon folks. Um, one of the things I'm doing, uh, I, I took basically four years off from triathlon to go back and get my PhD. And so I'm just dipping my toe back in the water. I'll be doing Ironman Arizona this, this fall and then hopefully see all of you folks at, at Kona in, in 2021 when I turn 55. But one of the things that I'm doing different this year is I'm – almost always, almost 100% of the time running on tired legs. And uh, you've had some great coaches. I've been listening to your podcast. You do a great job. And I'm sure some of them will tell me why I'm wrong in doing this. But the approach I'm going to take with this this year and see if it works is this callousing concept where we're triathletes. We never, ever run on legs that are not tired, ever. In a, in a race. It's impossible unless they mix up the order of your race. So why would I train? Why would I get used to doing my pace runs on rested legs? That makes no sense to me logically. And again, I'm sure you can correct me. I, I, let's not go into that right now because I just want to get the point across. But, but that's a new way of approaching cognitively my run. So when I go out and do, I, I do a pace run every week, it's about a half marathon distance with, you know, mile warm up, mile warm down. So maybe 15 total. But I want to do that where I'm starting off tired and see what my head does. And I'm going to continue through that process. So that's an example of this idea of callousing. It's preparing cognitively to callous. So when I get off that bike at that, you know, I'm, I'm going down to do Lubbock will be my first race uh, here in the States in June. When I jump off that bike and it's hot and humid and the wind's blowing and my legs are killing me, I'll be like, cool, let's do this. This is what we've been training for. Exactly what we've been training for. And I, I think we miss the mark, at least I have, maybe your listeners haven't, but we, we, we see it's windy out and we say, oh, I don't like running in the wind. Well, well, folks, there's that challenge threat thing coming up again. If we don't train in the wind, it's going to be windy in some of your races. Let's just give it. But if we train in it, if we look at that, again, it's, it's your reframing idea again. It makes that not just palatable, but we come into that saying, I've been here. I've done this. I've been training in the wind for the last six months and my competitors, most of them have not. So let's do this thing. So it just flips the switch. So wind, hills, you don't say, oh man, that's a hilly course that you're going to run on today or bike. You're like, oh, this is awesome. I get to bike the hills. This is going to be great for that. You get the idea. So, so that would be a second one under the preparation phase. Uh, any questions on that? And then I can hit the activate phase. No, no, no questions. Just a comment with with the hills, especially for running. That's something that I've been doing for years. I have two words when I get to hills: free speed, because I just know that hills make me <laughs> strong and they and they will make me fast in my races. So, so oh, that's uh, yeah, that it. that fits well with the the callousing concept. That's awesome. So the last one's the activate phase. So we have the thrive, which is the foundational well being. We have the preparation or the prepare phase where we're doing things or practicing things we're working on cognitive strategies in advance and then the last one is this this idea of activate now it's it's race day now you woke up you're tired you're you're you have a new baby and they kept you awake all night so stuff happens that's just our lives we'll never have a perfect race so what are the things that we can pull in in the moment and our 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 study that was just published last week in the journal of applied 
Journal of Applied Sports Psychology. I, I was so intrigued by this study and I'll, it, it's a great example to activate. So let's dig into this one because I think your, your listeners will love this one. We looked at, and, and I, I, I touched on it earlier, but we looked at 800 meter runners. We had three women who ran 11 to 15, 800 meters over a, about a 15 week period. So they would do one to two per week, always two days in between. We did a baseline of four sessions or actually of four to six sessions. So we'd wash out the learning curve because if you and I go to the track, we're going to naturally get faster. But after three or four or five of those, you've pretty much hit your plateau. So we did that to, to wash that out. And then we gave them, and, and those were all out efforts. And then we gave them a personalized self-talk strategy. So the one that participant A got was a little bit different than participant B, a little different than participant C. We are not testing specifics within those variables. We were simply wanting to find out if we personalize this to person A, is that powerful? And so they, they had different strategies all under the self-talk umbrella. And we checked to see what happens to their finish time and what happens to their mental toughness rating. And we talked about earlier, caffeine is a 2.3% on average improvement in performance. We saw after the baseline, so after they hit this plateau, we saw improvements of 6, 9, and 12% in the 800 meter times of these three athletes. So is that, can you extrapolate that to a, a college 800 meter runner? Of course not. These were not 800 meter specialists. But can we look at that and say, that's, that's important. That, that really has a big impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, that, that's a good and, example and runners, of the activate piece. So, so just to clarify the study methods, you, these runners were their own controls. They, so they also did, uh, how, how, what did you use as the control? Was that the baseline period or af- before or after the yep. washout? Nope, you nailed it. So we, they each did four to six baseline, all out, show up, give me everything you got. We'll time it, check your mental toughness. And they did that four to six times over about a three-week period. And then we started the uh, self-talk strategy. So they were their own controls, which again, coming back to our conversation about intra-participant reliability, that, that's, uh, that's a fun way to look at it. Instead of saying, well, you know, Brad had a baseline of this and then Michael went out and ran faster. Too many other variables. By checking how does participant A compare to participant A part two, much better results. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's super interesting. So what kind of self-talk is it then that they were doing and, and that you recommend generally to be using to, to improve mental toughness? So self-talk is a fascinating uh, topic. We, I, I, I'd used it some in, in my background, and we, we looked at it a little bit in some of our earlier studies. But when we got into this one, you, you know how the research study process is. I mean, we're looking at hundreds of articles. We're looking at which, you know, which 20 do we want to pull out of 30? Do we want to pull out the primary data? So there, there's so, anyone who's listening to this that's into self-talk, there is so much. Go to Google Scholar and and look up some of the, the self-talk research because it's fascinating. To to bring it down to a, a, a palatable or a, something we can get our arms around in, in, in this conversation, just more briefly, two of the basics are instructional versus motivational. 
And that's at the most basic level of self-talk, but it's a great place for people to start. So instructional, it's almost like you're your own coach standing on your shoulder. So if I'm doing, uh, let's say you're, you're out doing 10 by 400s, your instructional self-talk might be relax your jaw, uh, push off the first toe, drive with your arms, lift your hip. So it's, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's instructional. Some people do better with that. Some people do better with motivational. Motivational is ex- also exactly what it sounds like. Come on, Coop, you got this. You can do this. Come on, buddy. This this is your one. This is the one you love. You love number 10. Let's get this done. So that's motivational self-talk. And some people do better with one or the other. Some people like a mix between the two. So it can be situational specific. You might want a different type of self-talk walking into a big, important meeting at work than you would for your track session. So that's where self-talk actually, we kind of pull it back in the prepare phase and say, you better check this stuff out. Don't just assume on, on Kona day that you're going to walk in and, and motivational is going to work. You, you need some other stuff. So practice this in training, practice it in other events, practice it in your B and C races and find out what works for you. So th- that's kind of a, an easy way to start on the self-talk side. All right. Great. Um, anything else that, uh, we need to point out here or that we should go into on the, uh, on the activate side of things other than the self-talk? Oh, my friend, there's, there's so much. I, I've got a hypothesis about music. I'll just throw it out to your, your listeners and they can send me an email and tell me I'm crazy. But, um, you know, music not allowed in triathlons, but certainly allowed in workouts, certainly allowed in, in half Ironmans and, and, 10Ks and that kind of stuff. So one of the things that I've hypothesized with music on, and I've been trying it out a little bit, and I'm, I, th- I think it's working, is we talked about caffeine, whether you adapt to it or not. I think we probably adapt to music also. If you're running a half marathon, and and let's say you're trying to run a, a 118.30, so right at six-minute pace. I think it's 118.37, but you're right at six-minute pace, and you have music on from start to finish, how effective is that music at mile nine? And, and I don't expect you to answer that, but just something to think about. My thought is, what if we know music works, the studies are there, but it works. Most of the studies are done in, you know, five minute increments, 15 minute increments. So what if we took that into our actual racing or into our pace runs or our tempo runs or our track sessions. And we said, in fact, I, I, I like fiddling around with this stuff. So I actually did this once where I went out and did, I think it was 20 by 400s, the old Prefontaine special. And I used music on the odds and self-talk on the evens and tracked to see what happened. And, and it was just, it was fun. I, you know, I'm not a good case study because I maybe wanted one to work better than the other, but it was just interesting to do that. And so in these pace runs, I'll turn the music on. I'll, I'll, I'll go nothing for the first three miles. I'll just settle in. I'll get into that, you know, like tomorrow. I'll try to be around 630s, get in that pace, be smooth. And then around mile four, I'll pop the music on for a mile. And then off at mile five, and I'll use some self-talk. And then back on at six or seven. You get the idea? So you're, you're getting the on, off, on, off. I, I, again, totally hypothesis here. So love to hear from your listeners that are like, Yes, that worked. That was awesome. Or no, no, no go coop. But that's one of the things I think can help us in things like music is utilize it. Again, remember we talked about mental toughness is critical moments. It's not constant. It's not this, you're not using it the whole time. It, it's needed most at certain times. 
Well, why not pull in the tools at those times instead of using them up a little bit earlier? We talked about leakage in the bank, leakage in the FMT bank in particular. That would be leakage. If we use something up when we don't really need it, I don't need a lot of functional mental toughness that first 5K of a half marathon. I need to be controlled. I need to be smooth. I need to be positioned. I need to be in a good spot. And if there's a big win, see if I can be drafting in a, in a running race. So why use the music up then when it could come in much more handy at mile 10, at mile eight, at mile, et cetera. So just a couple thoughts on that. Yeah, those are really interesting thoughts. Uh, I just need to confirm because here in Europe, I mean, I think in running races, music is not allowed in any reasonably big race. But is that the case in, in the US that, that it is allowed? Yes, in the US. Yeah, in the US, if you're not a professional, so professional, nope, off limits. But if you're not a professional, you are allowed music in any marathon, in any uh, half marathon, no cycling races, obviously, and no triathlons. But running races, it's all go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think, I, I think that makes sense what you said. And personally, I've been using music in some, some hard workouts, hard runs or hard bikes. And, and what I tend to do is actually I might during the warm up, I might listen to a podcast or an audiobook. And then when I get to the main set, I have a, a playlist that is uh, designed to make, make me motivated and pumped up for for that hard main set and then after the main set is done i go back to something either some nice and calm uh, or maybe some pop music or something <laughs> that doesn't get me psyched up so much or i sure. go back to the podcast and audiobook so uh, i do agree with the the concept of not not wasting too much that, that works for me as well not not wasting too much time or spending too much time listening to the music that is designed to make you pumped up because then it kind of might lose its edge or that's just anecdotally what i feel happens so so i have kind of limited it in that way well and even you might want to think about with your i i don't know if you have two or three songs that are your super go-to like thunderstruck by acdc i don't think there's ever been a better pump up song at least for me for my age etc but I, I, if that comes on in another setting, like if I'm listening to Pandora or Spotify or something and that song comes on, I'll literally, I love that song. Like it's one of my favorites of all time. And I just like, you can feel me getting more energized when it comes on, but I'll skip past it. I'll turn it off. If I'm in a training session where I don't really need that big one, I'll, I'll skip that song because that, if I keep hearing that song, you know how it is. If you hear, think, think about your, the last time you heard this song that you just loved, you were just like, and forget training for a minute. This is just passion. So a song that you just thought, wow, this is the coolest song. After you hear that song 15,000 times on the radio because they overplay it because everybody's requesting it, is it still all that exciting? And it's the same, I, again, totally hypothesis here, but same concept with your workouts. If you've got those two, three, four songs that are just your magical training session songs don't waste them unless it's the time when you need that that nth degree of mental toughness save it for those times and use the ones that are kind of middle of the road for the the middle of the road training session so just a thought again all hypothesis on that one yeah no, that's that's really good so i think can you summarize the the concept, the the diagram that you talked about, and uh, and the examples mentioned here, just so that we have it uh, all neatly packed up in in one place here for the listeners' benefit. So we have a five 
and prepare prepare and activate and and then if you go through what each of those kind of mean and just briefly one sentence kind of and give a couple of examples for each that we talked about so that we we have that packed up i'd be happy to another thing i could do if you'd find it helpful totally your call is we could walk through a sample let's say 10k race and what would the traditional way to approach it without fmt and then what would be different using fmt would that okay. be helpful yeah let's let's do that yeah sounds good okay so so let's say and, and we'll use a half marathon because we're talking to serious endurance athletes i usually use a 10k when i'm speaking to general audiences but let's say you're getting ready for a half marathon let me just let me just, let me just jump in there 10k can be just as serious as a half marathon <laughs> oh dude a 400 can be just as serious as a half marathon yeah don't make me run a 400 please <laughs> i'd rather take the half marathon <laughs> well it's funny i i trained for the when i turned 50 i wanted to see if i could break five minutes in the mile at age 50 and so i went from marathon and triathlon training to trying to learn how to run fast again and you are man it is it is every bit as painful if not more but it's just squeezed from two hours and 47 minutes for a marathon into you know four minutes and 53 seconds for the the mile but it, all the pain is there so i am a hundred percent with you 10K is super painful if you do it right, as is a mile, a 5K, an 800, a half marathon, a marathon. What is it to have a marathon just because the things that you can utilize in your training might be slightly different? But frankly, you're right. It applies to any distance. So fill in your, your distance blank, whoever's listening to this, that you would be using. So half marathon, traditional approach, generally it tends to be physical and fueling focus. You're, you're going to you're going to train, you're going to put in your miles, you can do your tempo, your speed, your long runs, you're going to take your recovery day, you know, the whole thing, hopefully some strength training, you know, the, the, all the stuff that Michael takes you through on a weekly basis. So you, you've got that physical focus and probably some fueling. You Maybe you're eating a little better, you're a little more focused on what are you having uh, in your training and how soon do you do the protein and, and all that kind of stuff. But But it's generally the physical and the fueling focus. And then on race day, you have a planned pace or maybe it's a rating perceived exertion where you're like, I'm going to go this hard. And then when you see the finish line, boom, go finish sprint done, hold your knees and you made it. So that's traditional approach, physical fueling, and then race day pace or RPE. And then the, the sprint at the end, if we were to approach this utilizing the, the functional mental toughness stuff we've been talking about, you really, let's just walk through a few examples from each one. So again, FMT bank, the thrive piece is going to generally be similar to the above, but, but you're going to focus a little bit more on sleep. You're going to realize that sleep is really closely tied to mental toughness for a lot of people. You're going to look at some of your key relationships. You're going to, you're going to think about the people you're spending time around. You're going to, you're going to ponder, you know, whenever I'm around that person, they just irk me. Like they just irritate me. That doesn't mean fire your friends, folks, but maybe don't spend time around that person two days before your race, a day before your race, et cetera. So you, you tune into that a little bit more. General stressors. You, you think through, okay, how can I, how can I limit? You, we can't limit all of them, but how can we limit some of those stressors in our lives? Because we know that that's influencing that bank. It's causing leakage and we want that bank to be full and ready to go when it's mile you know, 4.8 of the 10K or mile 11 of the, the half marathon. So, so that would be the stride piece. It's not that much different than traditional, 
but it's slightly different in that in that you're pulling in some of those other pieces. Prepare is where our biggest change will be. Now, the first one is absolute clarity on your why. And I, I, this feels obvious. Like, why am I racing? Oh, because I like to race or I need motivation or no, 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 no. I mean, dug in like exactly what is your specific why? Not, not for racing in general, not for being a triathlete, not for picking this half marathon, but why this day, this place with these people, with this goal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's incredible clarity about the why, because when you are at your worst, when things, when you need as much mental toughness as you can possibly get, if that why is crystal, crystal clear, it's almost like there's a bigger opening for the bank to allow that to flow out. Clear stretch goal. We're all about goals. You, you talk about goals. We all talk about goals. We love goals. That's just kind of the people we are. But, and I've learned this the hard way, goals are amazing for training. They're not good on race day. We want to take those on race day. We want to take those, take those goals, set them over here in the periphery, maybe glance at them once in a while, but don't get caught up in them because when we get caught up in them, we, we, we fall into that threat piece of the challenge threat again. So yeah, absolutely. You, you, you have a goal of, of making it to Kona. You have a goal of beating that buddy of yours. You, you got wh- whatever it is, a PR, awesome in training. But when it comes to race day, you want to be looking for, you want to, you want to be there. You don't want to be your goal. And, and so th- example, think of, and I'm horrible at this. So I'm, 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 this is the kettle calling the pot black, but the, and that's one of the things I think I can improve at 55 versus 40. But the opportunity here is to focus on the process. So if I'm out there and I'm trying to run, uh, let's say a sub 250 marathon. So I know that I need to run at, I think that's what, 630, 624 pace, something like that. So if I need to run 624s and I go through first 10K on pace and then the next 10K, I drop down to about 633s. What happens? I, 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 I fall from, I fall right into that threat piece. I, I, my head starts going, dude, you're seven seconds per mile off. Oh man, and and you're not feeling that great. And you know what? You miss the water station. That la- you just it's like this cascading effect in a down. It's a toilet bowl thing. It's just like, oh no, I'm going downhill fast. Help! So that's that's a big one. We want to have the goals to drive our training, but the process is our focus on race day. We talked about the callousing, so wind, hills, tired leg, that kind of stuff. Another thing you can do is that final 24-hour roadmap. One of the things around leakage is we spend money, in our bank example, on things we don't need to spend it on. And one of the things in our training, in our racing, is we spend our FMT money on things we don't need to. So waking up the day of the race, oh my gosh, do I have the right, sh- oh my, oh my shorts aren't clean, what am I going to do? I love those shorts, those are my racing shorts, what am I, ah, uh, where do I, where do I put my shoes? Oh, my favorite sock. What time should we leave? Is Joe ready to go? When's Joe? So all these stupid things are using up li- little pieces of metal toughness. You're not getting super stressed about your shorts, but it's draining it just a little bit. So you're not saving it up for that, you know, mile 11.4 when that hill comes in that, in that half marathon, we used it up 
getting getting ready for the stupid race that morning. So it's things like that. And then practice the self-talk. You're not one of the things we found in our first study is the self-talk is is not something that we automatically do unless we've practiced it. So practice it. Figure out what works for you. And then the last phase would be obviously to activate. And I'll, I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, first of all is one I just mentioned, carry out the self-talk as you planned. Have some kind of a trigger. Do you need to put a rubber band around your fingers to remind you or your hand or your wrist to remind you to use that self-talk? Because again, it doesn't come naturally. So plan, practice in the preparation phase, and then carry out that self-talk plan that you've been utilizing. The idea of smile. We, we talked about this. It's a cognitive strategy that works. We know that. We had, and, and we're going to have you on our, our podcast here pretty soon. I'm, I'm super psyched. But folks, if, if you want to hear somebody talk about what's called Smiling 2.0, we had Chrissy Wellington on uh, earlier this year. And, and the name of the podcast is the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Podcast. And I was joking with her about she's known as I mean, Chrissy smiles. That's her Twitter handle. And I was joking with her about, wow, you must know the research and you were ahead of your time. And she's, she started laughing. She's like, no, Brad, no, dude, I, I, I didn't look at any of that stuff. I just, triathlon's not a big sport. And when I see people out there cheering for me, I, I want to give them something back. And so I, I'd smile at them. And she said, this weird thing happened. I'd, I'd smile at them and, and they'd, it's, they'd smile back. And that would give me a lift. And she said, then I'd run better. And I was just like, oh my gosh, Chrissy, you, you didn't just use Smiling 1.0. You've just created Smiling 2.0. So things like that, folks, we found in our research that the, the, the accessing the support that people around you are giving, and that includes the people on the side of the race course, that's the idea of Smiling 2.0. That is only a Chrissy Brad thing. We just, we talked about it. We had fun joking about it. But it's a pretty cool concept that some researchers is listening to this. You might want to check that out. So, so that would be another example. So, so that gives you an idea. Those, those are just some things you would approach differently if you were implementing the FMT, the functional mental toughness, and not just the traditional process. Yeah, those are all brilliant. Uh, one, one thing, one more example that I that might fall into this. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but something that I've done in in races is just write the names of my close support team uh, on the palms of my hands for a race. And then I have it handy to look at those names, people that have supported me through the preparation process. And that really helps with, uh, with really, with also with, with something like the why of why, why I'm trying to push myself so hard in that, in that race when mm. it feels like I don't want to push hard any, any longer. So I, I think that that's one thing that, that I found very useful as well that relates to, to these things that we discussed. Yeah, that's an outstanding example, Michael. And it actually fits under another aspect of self-talk, which is called dissociative self-talk. And dissociative self-talk is, so associative is the ones that we talked about, the instructional and the motivational. Dissociative is when you, you can almost take yourself to another place. And so your example is a great example of dissociative. Instead of focusing on my legs are tired, this is going, you, you think, oh, you know, my, my wife and I have been married. We'll be celebrating 28 years here this fall. So she's one that I'll think of often when we're on the race. Or our oldest daughter, Ashley, she's a fourth grade teacher, just incredible kid. I, I call her kid. She's not a kid anymore. Or, or Danielle, she's, she's going through grad school right now and just, just got married. And our son, Josh, we like to run together. So you're right. When I think of them, and maybe this happens to you too, it, it dissociates me from 
the pain that's going on right now. Now, you don't want to do that when in that critical moment where you're like, I got to dig super deep. But when you're in that, I need some mental toughness here and I need to dissociate a little bit, it's a great, great tool. So well done. Kudos. Yeah, I think that in the middle of, for example, uh, the run of a 7.3, the dissociative strategies tend to work well, whereas at uh, the beginning and towards the end, uh, kind of more associative and and instructional, and towards the end, maybe even more so motivational might be the way to go. Another example I remember from one one of my old interviews is with uh, Dr. Joanne Delcutter, who's a sports psychologist and uh, former, I think she was second in the Ironman, if not first, I no, not first, but second or something like that. Anyway, very good athlete. Uh, she talked about how when running the, not the Hawaii marathon or Ironman, but the Hawaii marathon at one point, and it was super hot and she was really feeling it and uh, not really wanting to go on. She put herself in the place when she had been feeling really good and the complete opposite in the San Francisco marathon that she had won. She was feeling great. It was cool, and uh, she kind of felt that she was actually physically cooling down, and that's something that we talked about with how your physiology also can change based on how you do different things. And and in this situation, she described how that happened to her by just imagining herself being in that uh, San Francisco marathon where she did really well rather than the Honolulu marathon, which wasn't going that well. That's a, it's a great route. That's a great route. And you can even do it where you say future self. So she was looking at past self and getting a lot of value. The brain is so powerful. You can also look at future self and, and I won't go into that now because it, it doesn't fit right here. But yeah, that's the brain is, it's a powerful tool. And, and what I'm discovering is we're not utilizing it like we could as triathletes. Yeah. Is there anything we need to add on this topic or have we pretty much covered the things that uh, the main takeaways and take-home messages for the listeners? I think we've given folks enough to start with. Again, the research is is available. You, you all are welcome to, to jump on our website, on my website and get that or shoot me an email. Uh, it, it's available to read. So if you really like the, the nuts and bolts, you can certainly jump into it. But I think by laying out that model and talking about the aspects of Thrive, Prepare, and Activate and some examples of that, I, hopefully we've given folks a, a really good starting point. Excellent. Let's move into the rapid fire questions then. And uh, oh, pressure's one, on. One one sentence to answer these. No more. Starting with, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? My favorite book I've read in the last couple of years is Alex Hutchinson's book Endure, and we had him as a guest on the the Catalyst Health and Wellness Performance Podcast. And he's he's just a good guy too. We got to run together when he was here in town. So. Awesome book. If you guys haven't read Endure, got to read it. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? You know, they say everybody has a superpower. I think mine would be laser focus. Once I get dialed in, I am completely dialed in, sometimes to my hindrance, which is part of my answer to your next question. What do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? (laughs) Have less laser focus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have had foot injuries seven years in a row prior to pursuing this PhD. Folks, I'm a physical therapist. I know the right answer. I wasn't doing it. So I wish I would have known when to say when and turn off that focus a little bit because that would have helped me race much better in the bigger spectrum. Yeah. All right. 
And finally, tell the listeners where they can find all your stuff. Again, your website, your podcast, and uh, how so- social media, any place they can keep in touch. They can keep in touch with you and what you got going on. Yeah, it's crazy. There's so many options now. I, I think if you like podcasts, uh, and, and I think you might enjoy ours, it's called the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Podcast. You can access that at catalystcoachinginstitute.com under the podcast tab, or it's everywhere. You know, it's it's on Spotify and iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's that's a good place. And you can contact me through that catalystcoachinginstitute.com site. Just say something about Brad in your subject line, and it'll, it'll make its way to me. Um, Instagram couple options there you can do catalyst coaching institute as a as a site for instagram that's where a lot of the health and wellness performance guidelines ideas that kind of stuff are going on and then you can follow me uh dr bradford cooper if you want as well do a a separate one separate from the company and let's see twitter is at catalyst the number two thrive so catalyst the number two thrive and I think that should do it. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. This was fun. It was so fun, Brad. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, I learned a lot. As I said before, we got recording. This is a pretty new new topic to me. So I was super excited to to learn about the research you've done and the practical takeaways as well. Well, thanks for sharing it with your folks. I think you're not alone. I mean, you're on the cutting edge of everything that's going on in training, and yet it's relatively new for you. So think about for the general population, it's it's even more new. So thanks for getting the news out there, and, and hopefully this is helpful to somebody. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. As usual, you can find the show notes on com. I will link to the the archives of episodes related to sports psychology and any episodes that i have categorized as psychology related will be found there so if this interests you definitely go and have a look at uh, what other interviews and episodes i've done on the topic i will also link to the research papers that uh, dr cooper has uh, been offering and uh, to his podcast and also of course his social media accounts so you can follow him if you're interested in getting help with your training, whether it is uh, at uh, a very, very intimate level with individual coaching, or perhaps you'd prefer to start out with uh, something that is uh, a little bit uh, less intimate, like a generic training plan, then we have uh, options from uh, both sides of the spectrum available for you on scientifictriathlon.com. Go and check it out, read more, and uh, send any questions and queries you might have to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a k on thursday we'll have another q a episode coming your way so stay subscribed and uh, listen to that big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration check them out on precisionhydration.com and get 15 percent off your order with the promo code that triathlon show one five and thank you to roca happy birthday once again Go and check them out on roca.com forward slash TTS where you can get your 20% discount code that is uh, available for any of their products, including wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.